Well, it was 15 years ago in January 2003 when my wife and I packed up our five kids, our cat, and most of our worldly possessions and moved halfway around the world. Dubai was a very different place back in those days. No uh, Barsha, no JLT, no Marina, Dubai Mall, Mall of Emirates, none of that existed uh, in those days. The church was very different in those days as well. The United Christian Church of Dubai, or UCCD, the only English-speaking church available in those days, evangelical that is, met in a small villa across the street from the Iranian embassy. Dubai has changed quite a bit in 15 years. And I can say with even greater enthusiasm that the church in Dubai has changed even more so. On the way from, uh, we went to Redeemer this morning to say hi to our friends there. On the way back, Emmanuel was asking me, how has God brought his church to grow and to be such a loving community here in the UAE? And I responded, it's the gospel, brother. The gospel has done this to this land. God, the one who tests our hearts, has put before his church an opportunity to respond to his word. A refocusing on the gospel as central in the preaching and the teaching in the church has led to much personal as well as congregational transformation. Praise God that this refocusing on the gospel has borne fruit. Gospel health and growth has led to led UCCD to plant Redeemer Church in Dubai uh, down in, in Dira in 2010. And then, and since then, another six gospel preaching churches, including Covenant Hope, have been planted across the UAE and beyond. Along with you, Covenant Hope, these churches and several other gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches in this region are our family. In the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, which we looked at last week, Paul said, you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. And as we get into chapter 2 today, he will describe this in much more detail. Paul will also continue to use this family theme to describe the, the relationship with the Thessalonian church. Let's read Chapter 2, now, if you have your Bibles, turn there. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. The main point as we get into the sermon this afternoon is live in a manner worthy of him because God tests our hearts. Live in a manner worthy of him because God tests our hearts. And we're con we'll consider four points as we walk through this sermon today. One is in verses 1 through 8, how th that living in a manner worthy of him affects how we share the gospel. Secondly, in verses 9 through 12, it affects how we conduct our lives how we share the gospel, how we conduct our lives. Thirdly, how we receive his word, verses 13 to 16. And then lastly, finishing off 17 through 20, affects how we love. Live in a manner worthy of him because God tests our hearts. Three times, Paul points the Thessalonians to God's witness. Look there at the end of verse 4, where Paul mentions that God will test our hearts. The end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 10 expand this, saying God is a witness. So what does it mean that God will test our hearts or be a witness? It means that he who sees everything values the quality of his church. Like a loving father who coaches and sometimes catches his little ones who's, who are learning to walk. The Lord God is watching, and he's helping us to grow in his ways. 
these phrases capture a motivation for living in a manner worthy of God. So the first point we're going to look at there is how we share the gospel in a manner worthy of him because God is testing our hearts. So look there at verse 1 and 2. Paul begins by reminding the Thessalonians of what they know about how the apostles came to them. Paul and Silas, if you remember back to uh, Acts 16, had already suffered and been treated shamefully in Philippi. Consider from Acts 16 what they went through. They had had their clothes torn off of them. They were beaten with rods. They were thrown into prisons and their feet were, were, were fastened into the stocks. Even after this, they sang hymns of praise to God from deep within the prison. And God miraculously saves them by an earthquake. And it's after that earthquake when the jailer famously begs them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Don't you think, though, that it would have been really easy for them to shy away from conflict, to, uh, to leave suffering and shame if their preaching was all about themselves, Right? This series of contrasts that Paul sets up in verses 3 to 6 highlight the worthy manner in which the apostles were sharing the gospel. Look there at verse 3. This is a summary of how they're doing this. Paul claims that their appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. They're not misrepresenting God. They're not mixing impure personal motivation with gospel preaching. And they're not manipulating for a response or deceiving so that they can gain a following. Paul is expanding these ideas further in verse 4 and 5 and 6. In verse 4, look there, Paul affirms that they're not seeking to please man but God. And in 5 and 6, they're not using flattery nor seeking financial gain, nor are they seeking glory from man, whether from the Thessalonians or from anyone else. Now, in those days, many charlatan speakers were drawing large crowds and requiring payment for promised prosperity. Paul is contrasting his ministry to theirs. Rather, he says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak. We're seeking to please God, not man. And even when we could have made demands as apostles, we have refrained from using those rights. Paul continues then describing how they did come, how they came in love to the Thessalonians. Follow me as I reread verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. See how the, the apostles were ready to share their own selves beyond, beyond even the gospel. They served graciously like a nursing mother. But it, it also means that they were, they were 
they were ready to share their whole lives openly with these Thessalonian believers. Otherwise, true imitation would not be possible. The people we disciple in the faith, they need to see not only the good and the already transformed behaviors that are a part of who we are, but also that which is still being transformed by Christ. When we sin, they need to see repentance and the application of God's grace. And when we're sinned against, they, they need to see forgiveness and the application of God's grace in that way as well. The apostles' motivation in sharing the gospel, you see, is not selfishness or personal gain, but rather affectionate, gentle, readily open love. Friends, love for God and love for our neighbor is the way we ought to share the gospel and our own selves. The motivations of greed or the approval or glory of men is idolatry and an affront to God. When you see that, root it out. Now, Covenant Hope, my heartfelt desire is that you will continue to be an evangelistic community like you are. It warms my heart to see that in you. And I know why. Because people who have been transformed by the gospel love to share about what God has done in their hearts. So I commend you. Keep sharing the gospel. But here, let me think of two ways that we can apply this text regarding our corporate worship and our personal evangelism. Have you, have you thought about how sharing the gospel in a worthy manner, as Paul describes here, affects our corporate worship service? Now, we're, we're always, you will, you will hear this from this pulpit, uh, as, as long as, as the gospel remains center, you will always hear us speaking of the gospel from the pulpit. Not only is the gospel engagement, encouragement sorry for you believers, but I know that when you bring friends, you want them to hear the gospel here as well, to confirm what you're saying to them. You want them to hear the message explained and applied. Well, sharing the gospel in a worthy manner in our services also means that we must not use manipulative pleas or emotional background music during prayers or the sermon. You're, you're not going to hear us pumping up people with feel-good phrases here. We're not going to promote false promises of health or wealth or prosperity if that person trusts in Christ. You're not going to hear that here. How about with our personal evangelism? How might this affect that? Sharing the gospel in a worthy manner in personal evangelism will lead us to sharing the gospel in loving ways with people that we have some level of relationship with. It's personal. We we encourage you to have a gospel outline memorized. That's a really good idea. They are great tools that we would want you to, to, to know and to memorize. But at the same time, you need to listen to people 
that you're sharing the gospel with, to know how God is working in their lives so that you can connect the truth to their life. I was encouraged uh, to hear about a couple members uh, just this last week who on an Uber ride uh, were looking for an open door for the gospel and, and, and one opened and they began talking through the gospel with their Uber driver. They were, they, well, they were fine with the fact that the, the tribe was taking a little longer and in fact when they finally got there, uh, they sat in the car with the driver continuing to explain the gospel, sharing the number uh, with, with them, uh, their own personal numbers to try to get them, this guy to, to follow on, to come to church. In all this, they, they took the time to develop some level of relationship, even with an Uber driver. And I know many of you are doing this with your classmates, with your family, with your colleagues at work. Now, some of you may be familiar with gospel illustrations like uh, The Bridge or Two Ways to Live. These tools are really helpful at, at presenting a clear gospel message. Just make sure that when you're using these tools, you do so with relationship. Uh, leaving a track on the back of the toilet or at the dentist office is not the most effective means uh, to, to do evangelism. We're not sharing an ideology, but a relationship between God and mankind. Therefore, it's not just a, a data dump that we're trying to get or, or correcting somebody on Facebook or, or anything like that. Communicating the gospel is best handled through relationship. Now, when I think of Paul and the apostles and what they went through for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to those who hadn't heard, I, I personally feel a little ashamed at what little it takes to dissuade me from declaring the gospel boldly. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people of greater boldness when it comes to sharing the gospel. Paul, his most consistent prayer request in the scriptures was that he would proclaim the gospel boldly and clearly. And we would do well to pray the same way. Well, because God will test our hearts on how we share the gospel, we must share in a manner worthy of him. We will do so honestly, we will do so in love, and we will do so boldly. That's our first point. Secondly, live in a manner worthy of him because God will test our hearts. Our second point is really about how we conduct our lives. And it begins in verse 9, where Paul reminds the Thessalonians how they had worked to provide their own needs so as not to be a burden on the Thessalonian church as they proclaim the gospel. Now, it's not that the apostles had to work, and they wouldn't have been in sin had they requested some support from the church, but rather, since there were so many charlatans running around in these days, Paul strategically decided to live in this way so that no one could accuse them from benefiting from the gospel. If you want more on Paul's reasoning behind that, you can check out 1 Corinthians chapter 9 or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But verse 10 points to the way that they conducted their lives before the church. Their conduct was holy, righteous, and blameless. Now, is Paul claiming that 
he and the apostles are sinless? No. Rather, he's saying that no accusation of sin could be raised. Does it mean that no one knew if there was sin in their lives, that no one could see into their lives? Well, again, no. We see in the way they loved the Thessalonians that their lives were wide open, were transparent before the church. The apostles were living holy lives, transformed by the power of the gospel and letting the Thessalonian church see into that. Brothers and sisters, are you dealing honestly with your sin before the Lord? Are you growing in personal holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness? If you really want to grow in righteousness, live a life that is open before your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let others into your life. Let them see your faults, your sin, and then be able to get the help you need to change. You see, when you, when you trust Christ, when you are adopted into a family that is called to love you this way, that we will love you into holiness. Faith is as much communal as it is personal. Now, if you're not a Christian, I know how strange it can sound to, to you to live a life like this. I mean, who actually lives like that? Well, Christians do. And here's how Christians do this. It's called confession and forgiveness. Now, we, we don't confess our sins in some dark closet with someone who's never actually personally met us. Rather, knowing we are already forgiven in Christ, Christians do as James 5.16 says. We confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. In this, we change our path from from one of, of sin to one of, that imitates God in holiness. Friends, it's time to live a more wide open, transparent life before your family in God. It may feel awkward at first, especially, especially at first, but, but love is knowing and being known. And, and so as you let people in, as you pursue Christ together and His righteousness, we become stronger together. You are not alone in this walk, my friend. In verses 11 and 12, Paul reminds the Thessalonians of our family life as he employs that second family analogy, like a father with his children. See there how he connects this to how we conduct our lives. He says, we exhorted, we encouraged, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And look how he emphasizes there, each one of you, highlighting the personal engagement between them. This is one-to-one discipling, as well as the preaching and teaching that they were doing in the church. And see there at the end of verse 12, how Paul points to our final destination with God in his own kingdom and glory as our hope in this charge. Truly, 
as Psalm 16 says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. That's our hope. That's where we're going. Church family, we have so much to look forward to in Christ. Don't trade tomorrow's riches in heaven for today's trinkets of sin. Let's live holy, righteous, and blameless in this world as we spur one another on in the church. We've considered now how we ought to speak the gospel and how we live our lives in a manner worthy of God. Now we come to our third point, which is to receive his word in a manner worthy of him because God tests our hearts. Paul turns the focus from himself and the apostles to the Thessalonian church in verses 13 and 16, through 16. In verse 13, he thanks God as he commends them for the way that they receive the word. The reason he thanks God is because he knows that it was God who chose them in love. As he had said in, ver- in chapter 1, verse 4, So he knows that it was God who gave them the ability to receive his word in this kind of worthy manner. And what does it look like then to receive the word in a worthy manner? Look there in verse 13. He says, they accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. They received it as true. They trusted it, and they acted upon it. And actually, at the end of the verse, he says, the word is at work in them. So they are working, and the word is working too. This word of God that is at work in them is the very word that Paul refers to down in verse 16, that saves Gentiles. Now, it may be that you've joined us today and you're not familiar with this word that I'm talking about. And that's okay. You might even be from another faith background. That's fine too. You don't actually have to be a Christian to be with us in this room. In fact, if you're wondering what Christians believe, then this room is exactly the place you need to be. And I'm happy to tell you in a very concise way what the message of the Bible, this word of God, is seeking to communicate. The overarching story of the Bible is this. It's good news that God made a way for mankind to be reconciled to himself. You see, he is holy, perfect, and completely righteous. But our sins have separated us from God. Though the first humans, Adam and Eve, enjoyed a a sweet fellowship with God, without sin, without guilt, and without shame or fear, it didn't last very long. They disobeyed God's word. He had, commi- he had told them they could eat all the fruit uh, that was available in the garden except for one, and they took it. And when they did this, the punishment, or punishment and banishment was their due. We've been living under this curse ever since. But the good news is that God didn't want it to be this way forever. His ultimate plan 
was that the wrath of God against sin was going to be absorbed in Christ's death on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, was perfect in holiness, without sin, and he died in the place of all who would look to him to be reconciled to God. The way we respond in a manner worthy of God is to receive this word as true. To look to Jesus, to trust him, and his death on the cross and his resurrection to pay the penalty of your sin against God and then follow him. Where should we expect to be following or our following Jesus to lead us? Is that to glory and riches and honor? Yes, one day. One day. We will follow Jesus to an eternity like that. But in this life, it's a little different. Jesus was rejected. He suffered and he was killed. And we see in the Thessalonians, in the way that they received the word, as that's described in a manner worthy of God, that they became imitators, imitators of the Lord and the churches that were in Judea. Verse 14. And interesting that they were imitators of the churches in Judea, even though they had never seen those churches or been to those churches. Look at that in verse 14. You suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now, how is it possible that Greeks from a pagan background could respond just like those in Judea? It, how is that even possible? Well, it's the same word of God. It's the same Jesus who rose from the dead. It's the same power of the Holy Spirit, the same full conviction of the truth, the same suffering from those who did not believe and the same fruit of imitation in their lives. Continue down to verse 15 and 16. See there, they first opposed Jesus, then they drove out the apostles, then they opposed the preaching of of the gospel to the Gentiles. Do, do you remember how Jesus said the gospel was spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth? Do, do you see the opposition to the gospel is mirroring the gospel's advance? This is, this is because those who oppose the gospel are ultimately opposed to Christ and his church also. And this is why believers will face sufferings and afflictions of many kinds. We should expect nothing less. And we should imitate the Thessalonian church who were receiving the word of God in a worthy manner. And they were conducting their lives in a worthy manner. They were sharing the gospel in a worthy manner. In verse 16, Paul reminds the believers that Though they are opposed, God is the one who will vindicate them. Those who killed the Lord Jesus and they who hindered the speaking of the gospel to the Gentiles, they will, that they will receive the full measure for their sins. The wrath that has been stored up for them will come at last, Paul says. Now, when we suffer, and especially when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, 
it's important to note that the gospel is not only about the love of God revealed in the payment of sins for those who believe. The gospel is also about the vindication of God's holiness. Every sin will meet the wrath of God. The cross of Christ is the greatest relief for every sinner who repents and believes because every one of his sins is paid for by the blood of Christ. The cross is the greatest satisfaction for every victim of sin who trusts in Christ because every sin that they have endured will also be paid. It will either be paid by Christ if that perpetrator of sin repents and trusts Christ or it will come on his own head in a fate far worse than any of us could ever imagine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. If you are a sinner or one who has been sinned against, the gospel is good news. And we definitely fit in those categories. Receive the word in a worthy manner because God will test our hearts. If you've not received the word of his gospel till now, then do so today. And if you have, then keep receiving his word. Do not be ashamed of Christ in his words so that he will not be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory. Now to our fourth point. Love in a manner worthy of him because God tests our hearts. Early in our, in our passage, Paul has used familial terms to describe the interactions with the Thessalonian believers. In verse 7 and 8, he says they were gentle like a nursing mother. In verses 11 and 12, he says we were like a father with his children. And here in verse 17 to 20, he describes using a very emotional tone the parting of their company after just three weeks of fruitful ministry that they shared together. Follow along as I read those verses again. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. It's really amazing, isn't it? To see how deeply Paul feels for these Thessalonians when he was only there for a month or less. Now, Silas and Timothy were able to be there a little longer, but, but feel the power in Paul's emotion and longing. This is how the family of God loves one another. We eagerly desire to be with one another. We want to see each other face to face. Some of you, you... you, you you can understand this because you long to see your parents or you long to see your children or, or your siblings or cousins. Why do we long for them like that? Because we share life together. We share the same blood with them. Well, this is true of your family in God 
as well. We share the blood of Christ, which is more precious, more pure than the blood even in your own veins. But I also realize that that some of you haven't had the most positive family relationships. Sometimes selfishness and sin from within the family can be devastating. Abuse, unkind words, theft of money or possessions, sexual misconduct, factions, taking sides, jealousy, fits of rage, drunkenness. Sins like these and many others like those that Paul lists in Galatians 5 are real within families as much as anywhere else. But we know, we know instinctively that family isn't supposed to be this way. We long for a family of loving relationship, which is perhaps why it hurts all the more when such things happen within the family. And if this describes your natural family, know then that there is healing for your soul in Christ. When we trust Christ, for some of us, our family just won't understand. It, it, if they're not already in Christ, some of our, our, the families that you have, they reject you because of your faith. But Jesus has a promise for us in Matthew 19.29. Anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, we certainly want to pray that God will save our family members if they haven't already placed transforming faith in Christ. But understand also that in the church, you have an even bigger family with thicker blood I actually have more in common with Thelma from northern Nigeria than I do with my own cousin, whose name is also David Lawrence. Frank Sampson, an Indian business owner and an elder in the church, has more in common with Natalie Lodge, a British high school student, than he does with his own brothers. Chooks EJ, Nigerian financier, is a brother to and shares in the small group with Maria Johnson, who is a Singaporean-American housewife. I mean, you get the idea, right? We're, We're all different in many ways, but we are one in Christ. We are family. When you place your faith in Jesus, following him in living in holiness and righteousness and blamelessness, when you receive the word and conduct your lives in a manner worthy of God, then we have nothing to hide, family. The guilt and shame and fear that comes with sin has been dealt with. It's nailed to the cross of Christ and we are free from its bondage. You are enslaved to it no more. Friends, don't you long for that kind of freedom? Don't you long for those kind of relationships? If you're not a Christian, it begins with looking to Jesus. 
trusting in his death and resurrection to reconcile you with God. Talk more to your Christian friend about that if that's describing you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the best place to find these kinds of relationships is in the covenanted community of the church. This is why we need to try as, as, as often as we can to get together with the believers of the church. If you're a member in this church, that means come tonight to the membership meeting. Find the members that live near you. We have a directory. You can find out where they live. Find those that live near you. Invite them over to dinner or invite yourself over to their place for dinner if you don't cook so well. Seek to know some of your own, some of your family members that you don't know so well. It's easy to, to get with those family members who we know, but what about that one over there that I haven't gotten to know? Why is it important to meet together? Because family loves one another and we long to see each other. Now, if you don't feel this way, or if you feel that people just don't, maybe people don't know me and I'm, I'm a little shy, well, one thing you can do is to pray. Pray for opportunities. But then I want to encourage you to take, take steps, little steps even, to, to open up your life to others. It might be something like greeting somebody after the service. Ask, ask a question about their life. If they're, if they're a believer or if they're a member of the church, then ask how they came to faith. That will open up a great conversation. And share your own story when asked, step by step. This will become more natural, just like walking. This is the kind of walking that is worthy of God. Friends, today is Chris's last Friday, and Jared and mine will be next week. As our family nears this time to leave Dubai, I want to encourage you all the more to live a life worthy of God. Live lives of love. Don't hold back on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Open your lives to one another in Christ. Speak the gospel and help one another to grow in applying that gospel to your lives and do so in a way that commends the gospel in holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness. We're so glad that the Lord has had us here in Dubai long enough to help plant Covenant Hope Church. You are our family, and you are what has made coming home to Dubai coming home. And when we get the chance to come back through Dubai, which we will, it will be a homecoming for us. Not only has Dubai changed in 15 years, not only has the church been transformed over these times, but we ourselves have been changed. And you, Covenant Hope, have helped us to walk even better with our Lord. Our step is more sure and our hearts are more full. Covenant Hope, you will always be in our hearts. And like this Thessalonian church was for Paul, you are our hope and our joy 
and our crown of boasting before the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy as the one to whom we live our lives in complete devotion. As you test our hearts, you're helping us to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, give each one here that which they need to make their next steps of faith. For some, Lord, it might be their first steps with you. Oh, God, give them faith to receive your word in a worthy manner, to believe in Jesus, to trust, to follow him. May, may we all receive your word that way. For others, Lord, it may be new steps to be open with their lives and, and letting others in. Grant them the ability to do so. For all of us, Lord, I pray that you help us to take further steps to grow in holiness and to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of you. May we grow in love for you and love one another in your church for the honor of your name. For it's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Uh, would you turn?